Once again, this episode of Ego Check with the IDM is brought to you by RPG Research. RPG Research is a 501c3 research and human services, non-profit, charitable, 100% volunteer-run organization. They provide music and role-playing game research and using collaborative music and games to help people improve their functioning and quality of life. They serve a wide variety of individuals, including those with ADHD, anxiety, individuals along the autism spectrum, and other at-risk populations, including people with brain injuries, depression, impulse control, and others in need of social skills development. You can find more information about RPG Research at rpgresearch.com. And if you're interested to learn more about the organization, I had previously interviewed Hawk Robinson, the gentleman who runs rpgresearch.com, back in January 2017 on this podcast. So go back in time and check out our conversation. Welcome to another episode of Ego Check with the DM. I am your host, Michael Mallon, and joining me this week is writer, artist, and instructor, and he does a lot of things. I'm excited to talk to him, Jim Zub. He's been involved in comics since 2001 as a writer and creator. He has been involved in many franchises that you're likely aware of, going back to Street Fighter, which is a favorite of mine from back in the day, Samurai Jack, Conan, The Avengers, which you may have heard about, Black Panther, and D&D since 2014. He's been involved in the D&D comic books and continues to be involved in Dungeons & Dragons with the Young Adventurers guides that are coming out this week. Uh, which I got a preview copy of, and I'm eager to talk about that and some other topics with him. Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I was going through all the different franchises that you've been involved in over the last couple of decades, and it's quite impressive. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, it's a little surreal when when it kind of gets said out loud. Like when you're in the middle of working on stuff, you don't always... It's not that you don't think about it, but you just sort of focused on the immediate kind of project. But when you kind of do, yeah, when you have a moment to take take a step back and look, you go, holy, you know, this is wild. The amount of different things I've I've um, had the chance to uh, be involved with. It's been really nice. And in preparing for this interview, one of the things I was doing was looking at some prior interviews you've given and also a recent uh, TED talk that you put out there, yeah. which is titled Raised by Dragons, which <laughs> yeah. I, I certainly enjoyed. Oh, and, thank you. And then the the content of that, you know, it's this 20 minute video. I posted it on, on Twitter here this last week and I'll throw it up again. I think it's really worth uh, everyone's time. It really resonated with me. There are some elements you talked about that just really struck a chord. I had an older brother as well that I was chasing. He was actually the first person that introduced me to D&D, him and his friends where they wouldn't let me play. And then finally, oh, nice. finally I convinced them to let me play. <laughs> Good uh, stuff. So there was that element of it and just how D&D had really uh, taught you this idea of collaboration, storytelling, and empathy, which just hits a lot of buttons for me, given that I you know, can kind of relate in some ways. So it really seems like D&D has been important to you for, for a long, long time. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really been informative to my creative career. Like I've told the Wizard of the Coast guys this multiple times, but I wouldn't be a writer uh, today. I wouldn't be a storyteller without, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. It, it really 
like unlocked, you know, kind of creative storytelling in me and a confidence to want to be able to do that, you know, for other people. So, um, yeah, it's, it was extremely formative. And even now when I'm working on stuff, I've done a lot of sword and sorcery projects, but regardless of what I'm working on or, or, you know, role playing kind of finds its way into it because you're trying to get into the heads of characters. You're trying to, you know, uh, understand what makes them tick and, and create a story that feels exciting and, you know, all and, and, and engaging at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And when, how old were you when you just dove in head first into D and D and decided like, yeah, I really like this. Um, I mean, I first started playing when I was eight years old. Uh, my brother was 12. And so that was a way that kind of the four year gap, um, you know, it felt big when we were that age and it was a way for us to sort of bridge that gap and have something in common that we could both kind of get excited about and, and engage each other with. And, uh, you know, when Joe went off to university, it became a real bridge for a lot of friendships, uh, for me in, in middle school and high school and, and college too. Like it's never really stopped in that way. You know, some of my closest friends and, you know, the, my wife, uh, all kinds of different people I've met through tabletop role-playing games. Yeah. And that was the other thing that I really liked about the, the Ted talk you mentioned how you came to, to meet your wife and, <laughs> and my life, I had met my wife sort of kind of as a direct result of camping out in line for episode one tickets for star Wars. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Nice. So well, it's, it's so it's so amazing now, like, uh, you know, the what we would typically have thought of as nerd culture back in the day is now just mainstream pop culture. Like it's all relative. But, you know, at the time that was that was a really odd thing. It was an unexpected thing that people would, you know, kind of talk about. And now it's the biggest movies in the world are superhero movies and fantasy films and books and games. It's uh, it's an amazing time. Yeah, it's wild. I was just having a conversation with somebody the other day. Where I was thinking back to the movie Mallrats, where mm -hmm. Stan Lee pops up, and you know Brody is this sort of character on the fringes, and he's a big comic book nerd. And now you'd have to explain to Brody that malls are dying, and comic book movies are the <laughs> biggest thing on the planet. <laughs> right. That's the sequel to Mallrats I want to see. Like just yeah, dealing yeah. with that reality. So absolutely. I, I wonder for you. Because you've been involved as a creator, uh, a writer for you know twenty years, when did the opportunity come up to get into Dungeons and Dragons and work with that franchise? Um, it was kind of an unexpected thing. I had been. Um... I had worked on uh, a lot of other fantasy stuff, including the. Um... Uh, uh the Pathfinder franchise. I actually did the Pathfinder comic for a couple of years. And, um, I, before that I had worked on a comic book adaptation of exalted based on the white wolf property. I've kind of always had my hands in role-playing game stuff. I, before I even started writing, I did some artwork for dragon magazine and oh, great. stuff like that. So, um, I've got some artwork in the fourth edition monster manual for D and D just like little bits and pieces here and there, but the actual ability to work on fifth edition kind of, um, uh, was was really an unexpected sort of thing. I had been doing the Samurai Jack comic at IDW, and it was going quite well, and we were getting great reviews. And the owner of the company approached me at a convention and said, hey, we'd love for you to do more stuff with us. 
um, what are you interested in? And I knew they had the license for D&D comics because they had done a previous series when fourth edition was running. But that series had petered out and they'd just done a handful of little mini series here and there. So I said, you know, I would love to do some D&D. And um, they weren't aware that Fifth Edition was in development. You know, as a comic book company, they were focused on other kind of Hasbro properties that they had access to. Sure. So, you know, D&D wasn't a priority compared to stuff like, um, you know, G.I. Joe or Transformers or things like that. And so I kind of initiated an interest in bringing the comics back, set up a conference call with Wizards of the Coast, and we started talking about the possibilities. I said, you know, fifth edition launching, if you're going to try, you know, and bring out the comic again, there's no better time. Like now's the time to really dig into it and, and see if we can make this a thing. And, um, and that's what we did. You know, long story short, we put together a first miniseries called Legends of Baldur's Gate. That was five, five issues. Yeah, five issues. All of them have been five issue miniseries. We, you know, we're, we're actually working on the fifth five issue miniseries right now. So um, each one is kind of self-contained story and adventure, but continues with the same group of characters. So you can read them all in order or you can just sort of read them on their own and you still get a satisfying story either way. And what's the reception been to that since fifth edition launched? Well, that's the thing, right? Is that, you know, no one knew that fifth edition was going to be this transformative thing. Um, and so all of us were kind of taken aback by the rise of, of, you know, the resurgence of D and D and the explosive growth of, you know, the property again. And so we benefited a lot from that. The comic has gotten a, a real surge. It's kind of funny because, there's people in the industry who, you know, friends of mine who said to me, man, how'd you get that plum gig? And I'm like, well, no offense. It wasn't a plum gig when I got it. Like I, I was the one who kind of sought it out because of my love of D and D not because I thought it was the next hot thing, you know? And so that's kind of, as D and D's kind of star has risen, I've benefited inadvertently from that quite a bit, you know, as now everyone's talking about D and D now, I've, I've always been there, you know, and I, I've always known it's something amazing and special and wanted to have the chance to contribute. So luckily, you know, as it's kind of grown, I've had a chance to do that. And it's been um, it's been a real joy to be a part of and to see more and more people getting creative and making their own stories. It's the best feeling. Yeah. What's it been like for you where you've been on all sides of the of the industry? It sounds like where. You know, as a child playing this game, then, you know, it's popular, then the popularity kind of waned a bit. Now it's it's this huge thing where even today I saw someone tweeted out D&D is in has an article in Good Housekeeping. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. it's just part of pop culture now in this really big way where it infuses so much. And the people that grew up with it are the folks who are now making media and making movies like The Avengers and shows like Stranger Things and everything else. So. What's that been like for you to sort of, like you said, ride that wave and in some ways help create that wave? It's uh, I mean, I, I can't take credit for, you know, the kind of amazing stuff that's been happening. The crew at Wizards has been phenomenal about recognizing that sort of wave as it was coming into its own. Um, the Everything from the kind of YouTube streaming uh opportunities that have really changed the way that people engage and discover the game to the kind of community aspects that keep things growing all the way across um it's been amazing it's it's you know obviously a little surreal at times 
Um, but I try not to take any of it for granted. And I just really want more people to be able to engage and make stuff and, and be excited and heroic in their, you know, in their game in life. I, I, that's really my kind of always been my joy, both as a dungeon master and a player. And now you no longer have to fight as hard to convince people to try it out. And it's really easy for them to see, you know, how fun it can be that it's, the, the best kind of, you know, combination of, of spending time with your friends and being creative and that there's really no kind of limits to it as long as you've got people that you want to play with. And you mentioned the word joy several times, and that that really came through in that talk that you gave that again. I think folks should go watch that. Oh, thanks. Uh, and that joy comes out in the Young Adventurers Guides. Yeah, which, absolutely. Which I definitely want to spend some time on. So. How did that come about? And maybe the bigger question is, why did you feel like these books were necessary? So what happened was um, in late 2017, I went into the wizard's office to do a, a short consulting contract. And what happens with that is on pretty much every major uh, release that they're working on, they want to bring in a few outside people so that they don't get too insular with their writing or with their artwork. So they'll bring in what they call a story push, or they'll do a um, um, an art push where they're getting concept artists from people who don't work in the office, or they're getting story brainstorming from people who don't work in the office, okay. just so that they can constantly kind of you know keep themselves fresh and and not. Um, trip over the same, you know, habits or, or expectations. And so they, they, you know, the team over there likes the comics and we get along really well. And in most cases, my uh, editor for the comic series hasn't been a gamer. And so they just put me directly in touch with Wizards so that I can work with them to make sure that the books are going to get approved. And so we build up a relationship, a good working relationship. And so they asked if I would come in for this contract. I did uh, four days in the office. It was an absolute blast. Uh, and these people who I'd been emailing back and forth, you know, now we're becoming really good friends. And so, you know, you're there all day talking about D&D &D and you go out for dinner and drinks and you're talking about D&D. &D. And, and I was talking extensively about my history with the game and how I got into it and, um, you know, how I was eight years old and I discovered D&D. &D. And, you know, we joked around about the fact that not only was uh, the, the original game was for, you know, 10 and up and I started playing when I was eight, you know, but, but the kinds of things that I that I liked about it, the kinds of qualities that really grabbed me, um, back then. And so many months later in 2018, they were having a meeting with random house who is their, you know, distributor. And they were saying it would be great to have some kind of, you know, product for a younger audience to bring them in the door. Cause you know, the, as much as the, the starter set is good, it would be good if there was some sort of a, Something that you could see in school libraries or something that you could, you know, just give to a kid who has no knowledge whatsoever of the mechanics or, or you know, doesn't want to worry about the dice or any of that kind of stuff. And someone at that meeting remembered that conversation that they'd had with me and they go, you know, who gets 
this like sparkle in his eye when he starts talking about being that exact age. Nice. Yes. They're like, you got to talk to Jim's up, like maybe bring him in to consult on these because he's got some really good ideas and he's very he thinks about this stuff all the time. And so they got in touch with me. And the original thing was just literally, hey, what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, I think about this <laughs> too much. Too this much. is all I think about. It's all I think about, actually. It's kind of terrifying. Um, and so I put together sort of some thoughts and that grew into this expanded document, which turned into a pitch. And that original pitch was literally called The Young Adventurer's Guide to D&D. And it was like one book, um, which, you know, now seems so simple. But as we started going through it and we looked at the kind of format that works in that market, the kind of trim size, which is the size of the book mm-hmm. and the, you know, the page count and the font size and all that kind of stuff, uh, we realized we just wouldn't have enough room to kind of put everything in there. So the second sort of iteration of that, proposal was a hero book and a monster book and then we started working through that and we were like oh man we can't fit it all in there (laughs) and then it became a hero book and a monster book and a magic book and we were like okay i think we got a handle on this thing and then as we started actually working away on the monster book we start you know we're referencing all these core locations and cool spots in in dungeons famous dungeons and then that sort of organically grew into well why don't we have a dungeon book and so now we have these four books that we've been working away on for almost a year now. And, um, and is it yeah, stopping at four or are we going up to eight, um, 12, 20? Well, we'll gotta, see. You know, kids book series are, are, you know, if they do well, kids love to collect and it's nice, you know, it, it keeps them focused on, uh, on a particular thing. So there's hope that, if these launch strong, that we'll be able to do more. And I've got some more ideas in the hopper in terms of where we would go with it. And we've had that kind of conversation. And my hope is that, you know, the, that, that kids respond really strongly and parents see the value in them and schools realize this is a really cool creative toolkit. And, uh, and we get the kind of support that will allow us to do more, but I'm not assuming anything. I just want to make sure, you know, we make these as strong as we can, and uh, that's really, you know, where, where we're going with it at this point. So, but yeah, I'd be thrilled to do more. That would be natural. You know, the monster book, we, it feels like we barely scratched the surface of all the different cool monsters in, in D&D canon. So, you know, that alone, I know we could do another monster book if we wanted to real easy. Sure. Uh, but that, that's the thing. The other thing that I stressed really strongly to them is I said, look, by its very nature, people are going to assume that these books are... Um, in, in like an adult reader, if they're a D&D fan, they might assume that these are a poor man's version of the Monster Manual or the Player's Handbook. I said we need to brand it differently and we need to stand out differently. And one of the best ways we can do that is with new artwork. And I said, you know, I know it would be easy to just reuse artwork from the Monster Manual. But if we're able to have some new artwork, that would be ideal. And um, thankfully, they really saw the benefit in that as well. And some new artwork became all new artwork. And so the Young Adventures guys, each book's got over 60 brand new illustrations of the stuff in the, you know, that we're writing about. And so to me, I think that's a huge selling feature for existing gamers as well. It becomes a really nice visual tour of D&D that's not... You know, that's just focused on 
you know, the, the game concepts, the storytelling ingredients. You don't have to worry about stats. You can show that book to your players and not worry about them reading up on the AC or hit points of anything. And you can just show it off and you can give it to someone. Although, yes, ostensibly they're made for, you know, eight to 10 year olds. Um, the reality is you could give them to an adult player and just say, read this. It won't take you long. And you'll get all the core concepts of what makes D and D tick. And then just like with the kids, they can bring those ideas to the table and then see how a roll of the dice lets that concept sort of flourish into a story. Yeah, and definitely the artwork and really just the design of the books. It's just incredibly well done. It's, okay. it's very – the words that came to mind because I was taking notes as I, was going through, as I was going through them, clean, simple, but not simple as a bad thing. It, right, it's right. very um, easy to, to access. Right. That was really our plan, you know, all the way along. Yeah, absolutely. And at first glance, when I, when I saw the books, I think because of the size of the books there, I think you described it as that trim size. It's like, oh, OK. My first thought was exactly what you said. Like, oh, I wonder if this is just repurposed stuff right. from the books I already have. And it's maybe trimmed down and whatever. Uh, but it's all new content. And I think right. what I found incredibly refreshing is reading through the structure of how the mm -hmm. information is presented. It was like looking at D&D through like a new pair of glasses. <laughs> right, right. And that was really important to me was that we weren't just cribbing text from the existing books and, and rewriting it the exact same, you know, or, or editing it down, that we were making real careful choices about what we were trying to say and, and focus it in a way that is easy to understand, but also um, that can ignite a kid's imagination. You know, one of the things I'm really proud of is, and that Wizards got behind when we were talking to them, was uh, we were talking about the size references. I said, I know in the regular D&D books you don't mention much about, you know, the modern real world, but it would be really great if we could compare these two things that exist in the real world. So if we say that this particular creature is the size of a school bus, or if we say that this creature is tall enough that you can see it out a second story window and look it in the eyes, that to a kid is instantly recognizable. Like they understand that and they can imagine it in their in their day to day life. And that's the kind of stuff that's going to stick with them, you know? Yeah. And what has been the reception? I imagine you, I want to say play test, but that's not the right one. <laughs> right. But got some feedback from young children. And what type of feedback did you get from, from them reading through? It's been, it's been awesome. Like the good thing is, is that, you know, we built the book specifically so that you can read them from start to finish and you'll have an experience. But they're really kind of built that you can just open them up on any particular page and start um, discovering them. You know what I mean? Like, oh, this looks cool. I want to find out more information or I want to compare, you know, where these creatures all live or, or, you know, how these things all relate to each other. And that's really what we've been seeing. It's what I hoped we would see. And it's what we have seen is that kids kind of dance around different sections of the book and become absorbed in different areas and then start to, you know, we tell them right in the book, brainstorm your ideas or, you know, tell us 
what the character does next in the story or things like that. And, and seeing that kind of call and response, you know, giving them the kinds of skills they're going to use at the table is, is so valuable and, um, and, and reminds them that the game is about them, that it's about their story and their ideas, not just, um, you know, here are a very limited selection of options, you know. And, and early on, there's a, a quote from the book, I believe it says, our focus is on getting new players excited. And mm. I think it also gets old players excited, too. Like, yeah, I, that was my experience with reading the book. Like, for example, you're talking about paging through and the art and other things just kind of bringing ideas to life. There is this phenomenal picture. Um, I think it's page 26. I made these notes because uh, you talk about different races. And mm-hmm. one of the races is the turtle. Yes. So there's this amazing turtle art of this turtle playing guitar. And I just immediately thought of, uh, I'm a big Pearl Jam nerd. So boom, <laughs> boom is the keyboard player who joined the band that he's been with them forever now. But I'm like, I just want to play a turtle named boom, who looks like this guy just running around with a guitar or whatever turtles do. If they don't run. And it just gives you all these ideas of like just the simplistic nature that it's presented. in. it just lets your brain run with ideas about, you know, what is really the core of playing this game. It's just kind of making up stories with other people. And there's so many seeds like that throughout the book where all the classes, all the races are presented with questions, Mm -hmm. which do you like to do this? Do you like to do that? Then you might be a ranger. Exactly. Um, Exactly. That, that kind of stuff, what what we call kind of call and response where you want someone to not just be told information, but to ignite ideas. Do you know what I mean? Do you like this? And if a kid goes, yes, well then add this to your list. You know, the flow charts are really good example of that as well. I'm glad you brought that up. So how did that come about? Well, that was really in my kind of original design document because I kind of envision these things really viscerally. And like I said, I've been thinking about this stuff for a long time. And I said, you know, one of the things that I think is really valuable is to have examples and not just examples of here, use this character. Like the legendary characters are examples of of sort of offbeat or strange, you know, combinations, which I think are really important. But for me, it was really about asking them questions in terms of encounters and not a choose your own adventure book, but, but really like an open-ended question format. And then I said, you know, we're still hitting them with a lot of information on these races and classes. It would be great if we had some way to sort of visually organize them. And that was sort of where the flowchart concept came up. And I said, can we nail this down to like, you know, three, four questions at most um, so that it's not an overwhelming amount of options, but it feels relatively comprehensive in terms of this or this, you know, answer these things. So if you don't if you know what you want to do right from the get go, obviously follow your bliss and do that. But if you're unsure, answer these you know, handful of questions and it can direct you towards an option that can be really, you know, can fulfill those obligations and, and get you started quickly. Yeah. And the, the flow chart is kind of right smack dab in the middle of the book on page 54. So it's this two page flow chart that it says, you know, starts out, do you prefer to live in the city or do you live in the outdoors or the wild? And then that breaks off into two branches. And then from there, it asks these other kind of yes or no sort of questions. Mm-hmm. And at the bottom of the flow chart are the different classes. Right. 
And the book focuses on, kind of highlights six classes, paladin, fighter, rogue, barbarian, ranger, monk. Yeah, all the martial classes. Yeah. And I, I, I think I mentioned this on Twitter. It's like, I just feel like this should be in every player's handbook going forward. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks. That's a big compliment. Like, it, you know, to me, it, it's like we wanted – like I said, to have it very straightforward that a, that a kid can look at this and you could literally – a parent could just sit them down and have them answer those questions and then say, OK, you're this. Let's get going. You know that That's the first step if you have no other ideas or you don't know where you want to go with it. You know, And the same thing with those questions on each of the races that it was about, do you feel like this? Are you like this? Is this what you want to play? And, and you know – because we're talking about kids rather than it being about, you know, there is an element of you can be something that you're not, but to a lot of these kids, it's more about what do you want to be? You know, how do you see yourself in this, you know, uh, heroic persona that you're going to put together. And so that's why we sort of structured it that way. And again, I think that although it's built for a kid, you could give that to anybody and they would be able to very easily jump in imagine a concept rather than worrying about numbers and stats and charts they can just sort of answer some questions and say okay i want to be like this and there's enough you know resources out there you know pre-gen characters and or quick roll-up characters on D beyond or whatever that you could plug in those ideas and have someone a character rolled up at the table and ready to ready to go you know rather than laboring over the character design process in, w with the standard player's handbook for hours on end before you get to the exciting part. And is it is it fair to assume that Wizards and Spells will have a similar class flowchart? Absolutely. Yeah, it's already yes. like Wizards and Spells is all done and written, and it, it absolutely has uh, the exact same flowchart. And it's got the other six you know, core classes in there as well. So the, the Wizards and Spells book is, um, you know, all the magic – using classes plus um spell examples it's also got um magic items and and stuff like that so it's a nice it's the other kind of half of the warriors and weapons book and uh it you know just like this one uh it's lavishly illustrated it's going to be beautiful and we've got some really cool new legendary characters that we've built for it as well yeah so in, in both books you you kind of highlight legendary characters that take up a, a couple of pages which i think is really interesting and in, in the warriors and weapons book you include one monster the rust monster yes <laughs> what, so what if I, I found kind of an interesting choice and i wonder why what what brought that on that was just sort of a a, a bit of a dorky thing that i wanted to have in there so we had all these you know metal weapons and armor and i just you know the monster i think the monster profiles as a kid, that was the stuff that would have really grabbed my attention the most. Like, monsters are so cool. And I, I mean, I would endlessly, endlessly stare at the monster manual and, and you know, recreate those drawings over and over and over well, again. It's a nice preview of the Monsters and Creatures book, or it gives you a tease of what that's like. Yeah, absolutely. So, first of all, um, we're kind of assuming that most kids, if they know nothing else, are probably going to dig the monsters book. So hearkening back to the profile format that we have in that book in Wars and Weapons is just like a quick little nod to it. But on top of that, you know, there's the simple idea of, hey, here's all this. Here's all these weapons and armor. 
watch out for this thing. This will take all that away from you. You know what I mean? This is the, the one creature that is most dangerous to all your metal stuff. And so as a kid, it's, it's a really simple concept of this is the creature that eats your equipment that we just showed you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's just a fun kind of element to it where I looked at that and I said, you know, uh, the, the rust monster was something that we had thought about putting into the, the monsters and creatures book and it didn't fit. And I was like, you know where it fits right here. Like thematically, it's sort of a fun little callback. Sure. Uh, and I think, it, I think it works well. And to just highlight those words that you're using again, fun and, you know, joy, you talked about mm-hmm. each, each creature or monster has a do this and don't do this. <laughs> right. Section. And absolutely. And that was really important to me for the same kinds of reasons that we're not writing the monster manual, that this is a different feel of book, you know, and this plays into different kind of concepts of, of storytelling and discovery. So we want to be able to give advice to the new player without just telling them statistical things. You know, it, it, it became a challenge in a good way for us to think differently because you can't just fall back on game terminology. You can't just say, it has, you know, use this spell or use these items or this is the statistical advantage. You have to think um, storytelling wise how you describe the advantages you can have if you take particular actions or, or you know, things that this creature can do to harm you. And so for us, that was a good challenge to have when we were working away on it. How can we think a little bit differently and word this in a way that a a young reader can instantly understand? Do this and don't do this. You know what I mean? These are the things you got to watch out for with this creature. And, you know, here's a little bit of advice, but not so much that it's game breaking, that if someone reads this as a player, they're going to have some ludicrous statistical advantage. You know what I mean? Sure. And yeah, there's, you know, some people refer to it as crunch, like the the idea of rules. And, you know, in these books, there's, I don't believe the word dice or die is mentioned once. I think it gets mentioned at the very end where it says you can go to a game store and and play with people and roll dice or something. I think that's about it. I was just looking at that sentence and I couldn't find it. Oh, wow. It's there real quick. But the, the final piece of art in the Warriors and Weapons are the die, which Mm -hmm. was kind of interesting. The other thing I liked about the the monster book, kind of jumping over to that, is just how it's structured. Again, I I just think the structure is very refreshing. So it's not alphabetical. No. And that was actually something that I came up with very early on in the concept development was I said, please, can we not make this alphabetical? Because I said, you know, I don't want to worry about like dragons are at the front. And to me, it's like I want to build up excitement. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, so to me, I thought, okay, dragon's got to be at the back. How do I structure that? And so one of the things we were talking about different ways that we could structure it. And all of a sudden it struck me. I said, oh man, we'll we'll just go from place to place. We'll start underground Mm -hmm. and then we'll get to the, to the main, you know, ground level. Uh, and then we'll soar into the sky and that's how we do it. That's how we get what I want. I want dragons at the back and I want to have it feel thematic rather than, alphabetical and and it just all worked like the minute that i sort of put that down and started going through our potential list of creatures and plugging them in i was like oh this is going to be great you know like we've got so many different cool options here in terms of underground creatures and then we can move 
Um, and Adam Lee, who's one of the guys at Wizards I was working with, and he's been just an amazing, supportive uh, person at the office and, and helping to consult on the books and give feedback. He was the one who said, you know, don't just call it like graveyards, call it like a boneyard, like make it really descriptive and cool. And I was like, yeah. Right. And we would just we, we get on the phone and we get so excited when we talk about these books. We can't stop, you know, sort of getting pumped, you know, pumped to, to put this down on the page and for people to discover it and, and kids to get into it. You know, some of the some of the advanced copies that have been sent out to industry people, I love hearing that they get the books and their kids steal them and they can't get them back. They're like, I, ha- I the book looks great as far as I know, but my kids got it and I'll never get it again. So I'm like, good, good. That's it's for them. So, you know, like that's the way it should be. Well, and it's uh, another one of those devices, like structuring things by location that I think makes a ton of sense and not just for a young adult book, but I think it'd be interesting to have a monster manual that's structured that way. You know, when you're thinking about designing encounters or telling stories, I mean, where it's going to happen is a good place to start. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think just paging through this alphabetical list of monsters where page nine has nothing to do with on page 11. That is a little disorienting. Right. The abstraction of what do these things have in common or when do I use them was kind of one of the things we were trying to overcome. And so for me, that was a real natural one. Well, if we tell you where it is, these things could all vaguely be found together, not at the same time, but you just get a sense of, oh, these are all underground. Got it. And so that just gives you, again, a thematic hook and a story hook that seems very natural as you're going through, you know. I just wanted to take a quick break to talk about a product that I'm very excited about and I hope you all check out. Are the dice trays available by Woodcraft by us? This is a company that is run by one of my fellow players in my Dungeons and Dragons games. And he and his father are creating handcrafted, uh, beautiful wooden dice trays. I've been able to uh, get in on the ground floor with these. I've uh, helped Kevin, the gentleman who is making these, uh, play test them, so to speak. Uh, We've been playing around with them during our games over the last few months. And he has kind of perfected his design along with his father. And the trays use exotic hardwoods uh, like Purple Heart and Black Walnut and are made with a top channel that is a great place to set dice that are not in play. I've been tweeting out some photos of these dice trays in action over the last few months during our gaming sessions. And people have been pretty excited about them. And now they are available for purchase. The bottom of the dice tray has a layer of cork to minimize dice bounce and can be topped with the felt color of your choice. Uh, That can all be customized on their website at woodcraftbyus.com. Once again, that's woodcraftbyus.com. Roll better, crit more, and visit woodcraftbyus.com. Back to my interview with Jim. So the other thing I really liked about the Monsters and Creatures book is the the danger levels. Yeah. And this... will admit to being a little flummoxed by the challenge system in fifth edition, trying to <laughs> encounter sometimes. Right. So this sort of stripped down danger level makes a heck of a lot more sense to me. How did that come about? Yeah, and that was another sort of simple thing where I wanted to try and codify something without just using the rules. And I was like, okay, if we roughly take the challenge rating, divide it by four, but there's a little bit of play there. Like, you know, a creature that is P 
peaceful is not going to be a threat so we can lower its kind of danger level even if technically in the monster manual it's more powerful you know so we've got a little bit of play there but we we can sort of move these numbers around a little bit um that was the that's the 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 simple you know version of it and and i said i wanted to have something i don't want to codify a lot of stuff with numbers because this isn't about stats but for me as a kid, I know one of the things I loved was comparing. So how big is this compared to that? Or how big, is, you know, how tough is this compared to that? So if you have these danger levels, all you, it's, uh, a kid can make their own list of, well, what are all the danger fives? What are all the danger threes? Like, what are all the danger twos? You know, and, and it becomes another way for them to be organized in a kid's head. Um, that was the, the simple sort of desire behind it is I just wanted to have some very easy way for, uh, them to be sort of organized for, for a kid. You could do it by size, you can do it by where they're located, obviously, or you could do it by how dangerous they are. Yeah. I just really, uh, enjoyed that element of it. I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. They should just, they should do that too for, right? for the adults in the room who, who sometimes struggle like myself. Well, and that's the thing is that, again, I think one of the things that's nice about the book is that ideally what it's able to do is you can give it to anybody. You can give one of these books to a kid, obviously, uh, or give it to an adult and you just go, this is, these are the core ingredients, the recipe of D&D. If you read this, you don't have to worry about which dice when. You don't have to worry about do you know all the rules and are you going to do it right? And I'm using the word right with, you know, hanging air quotes here on an audio podcast. Certainly. But, um, this is what you need to know. Tell me what excites you and we will find a way to make it happen at the table. I love bringing new people into the game, obviously. And this to me is sort of encompassing a lot of the things that I enjoy most about introducing people to the game. When I'm verbally, when, when I make characters with a brand new player, I don't just hand them the player's handbook and go, good luck, Charlie. Like what I do is I, I talk them through it narratively. I say to them, okay, here are a bunch of different options. And when I say this list of things to you, what, what comes to mind? You know, this is the list of different races. What do you want to know more information about? You know, what can I tell you examples of? And so I'm sort of verbally doing the same kind of thing, because what I don't want them to do is get flummoxed by the rules and feel like, well, what's the best one? Or what is this? Is that number higher? Is that good? Like, do I want that? You're like, no, the numbers don't matter as much as you think they do. You know, the numbers are there to to um, build things with. And yes, there are statistical advantages, but in the grand scheme of things, we're here to have fun and your fun starts with your ideas, you know? And so what if we strip away all that extra stuff and just focus you deeply on that concept, on the rules, on, sorry, not on the rules, on the narrative, on the character, on the story. And for a kid, that's make-believe already. That's the way they're thinking about their own storytelling. So we're just telling them the specific choices they have here in D&D, and then they can just move from there. And you were talking about the races, and it, one of the things that I made a note about was, as I was reading through the book, and I had mentioned, to the, I had mentioned this to you previously, like I had never found half-elves so fascinating. Oh, really? <laughs> as just kind of reading through, because each, each race has... You know, a couple of pages devoted to it, 
and then sort of three paragraphs on one page that just give you the flavor of here's what this race kind of symbolizes and, and is about and it is meant to sort of generate all these ideas of right. what it would be like to play this type of character and just reading through the half elf thing it inspired i was thinking I just want more half-elf content. <laughs> well, I want to I want to have a campaign about these folks. Like there should be more things going on. It just and I've read through the half-elf thing and the player's handbook a, a bunch of times and I know I didn't have a similar reaction. So it seems like again kind of going back to some of the things you talked about of the storytelling and really getting people this call and response, getting people to feel something. Is that pretty much your voice? I know you had a couple other people. Well, yeah, you, right? actually, I was just going to say that. So I can't take credit for, you know, um, every section, obviously. So I came up with the broad structure. I wrote um, key sections of, of the books. But the only way we would be able to deliver the book on the schedule that ended up, you know, coming together on these Young Adventures guides was to put together a writing team. And so Stacy King and Andrew Wheeler have been just absolutely wonderful. First of all, I, I'm biased. They're, you know, dear friends and, you know, of mine and, and very close to me. Uh, and on top of that, they play in my D&D game. And so I know them and I know that they kind of prioritize the same kind of stuff that I do. They're both writers. They're amazing. Uh, and And they they really embraced that approach. And so some of my favorite sections of the books are the ones that they put together where they kind of took the ball and ran with them. So, you know, uh, I'm pretty sure I, I, off the top of my head, I, the half off section might've been Andrews. Um, so kudos to him for that. If it's Stacy, I apologize. It wasn't mine. So, um, but, uh, you know, thing, things like the, um, we did these encounters in the monster book and those are these short little fiction sections that have a choice or a, a, a challenge of sorts that the, um, you know, that the reader is sort of prompted with a question. And probably my favorite one is the unicorn one. Cause it's so different from the others. It's not combat oriented at all. And I just read it and that was one of Andrew's and I thought, man, this is so visceral and it's got such a great, it's almost got a, like a moral, you know, kind of component to it. And I feel it's, it's beautiful. And, and the exact spirit of what I want to see in the books that we're not just saying, do you fight? Do you run away? Do you fight? Do you run away? But like giving people the kinds of decision-making that happens at the table, the kinds of complex decision-making and thought process and moral quandaries and all this stuff that happens in a great D and D game. And, and, you know, that's, what's great when you have people that, that embrace the, the concept that we were going for and then take it to the next level. That it's not just me having to generate all this stuff, but we as a team are coming up with these ideas and putting them on the page and are all passionate about what we're trying to do and bringing our particular passions into it. You know, I've got, I'm crazy about this stuff. I can talk about D and D all day and you know, they're crazy about different aspects of the game as well. Mm -hmm. So when we were sort of breaking down the book, I said, okay, here's the structure. Here's all the sections. What monsters do you think are cool? And if you think it's cool, I want you to write that section. You know, sure. yeah. I'm going to grab some that I'm really crazy about. And I kind of already have a handle on what it'll look like and feel like. What are you into? You know, yeah, there's probably going to be some in there that none of us are super crazy about. But with enough research, hopefully we can be. 
Um, but the ones that you're at the front of your mind, that's the stuff that you want to talk about. I want you in there. I want you putting that passion on the page the same way I'm trying to. When you get awesome people like Andrew and Stacy, you know, who are able to, um, you know, put themselves into it and, and hopefully, you know, I, the sample sections and the, the stuff that I wrote inspires them to do, you know, their damnedest on it. That's why it came together as well as it did. And then us also proofreading each other's sections as well. And just sort of sure. saying, Hey, is this clear? Are we getting sort of too insular? Is it, you know, too weird? And, and sometimes realizing that there was an easier, simpler way to say something, you know, rather than trying to get too granular with it. Well, and the enthusiasm and the, the passion is a word you mentioned. I think it definitely comes through Oh, thanks. from, from me just reading through the book, it just it reminds you of, you know, as a, as a DM and as a player, I think sometimes you can get a little caught up in, well, one, just the logistics of getting everyone together, which is mm-hmm. a challenge in and of itself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but in counterbalance or leveling up and gear and all this other kind of rules that can sort of bog down the process of actually sitting down and telling a story. Mm-hmm. with a group of friends, a group of players. And this book just factors that out. It just doesn't even really address it and gets back to the core of here's what this game is about. Right. And here are right. some ideas on how to play it. And it's very energizing. It sort of... It, oh, thanks. It makes me want to simplify some of the games that I'm a part of, where it's a little bit of less about you know rules and, level, and leveling up or whatever, but just kind of exploring some of these ideas, more of these moral quandaries and other topics that you could get into without, you know, leveling up and destroying monsters and gaining treasure. Cause that stuff's great too. I like sure. that stuff, but I, I do, I did find this approach to talking about D and D. It's very refreshing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That, you know, very much by design. Uh, I had this, <laughs> this is going to sound really funny. Like w- when I was in high school, you know, I couldn't stop talking about role playing and like how valuable it had been to me, you know, in terms of building my confidence and making friends and all this stuff. And I would say to my friends, I was like, man, I wish more people, you know, we'd be sitting around the table on a you know Sunday afternoon and we'd be playing for hours. And I'd be like, man, I wish more people understood how much fun this could be. Mm-hmm. And they're like, but they don't and they never will because this is our nerd stuff. And I was like, but it, why? It doesn't have to be. You know what I mean? And they're like, what are you going to do, Jim? You're going to you know, do an infomercial? You're going to, you know, you know, get on TV and tell people how great role playing games are? Do you think they're going to care? And we would laugh about it. They were like, oh, Jim's going to do an infomercial about D&D, you know, and and whatever. And I sort of uh, have a funny moment where I was talking to the Wizards guys and I said, I told them that story. And I said, guys, this is my infomercial. I literally yes. this year I did a TED talk and I wrote books to bring people into the hobby. And they're like, guess you were right. right. <laughs> and I'm like, geez, like, wow, this is crazy. I Travel back in time and tell <laughs> your younger self that this is the future. This is actually going to happen. You're going to do that thing that you think, you know, it does have value. It it. Um, and more and more people realize it. like they don't want to be passive about their entertainment. Like, you know, look at this generation, right? The reason why they post Instagram and 
pictures and selfies of food that they have or places that they go is because they want to have and they want to show that they're having unique experiences. That's a big part of the kind of interactions that people have, right? And and D&D is a constant unique interaction. It's a story that only we can make together. We don't know where it's going and we're going to discover it as a group. And when it's all over, we're going to have a hundred little in-jokes and great memories of spending time with our friends. And, and it's always been that thing, but more and more people now see it clearly. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so to be even a small part of that and to be able to help convince people that this is a valuable thing and that they can enjoy this no matter who they are, where they are, how old they are. Um, it, it feels very special to me. And, and I'm, you know, I'm hopeful that the response to the books is strong because that's, you know, the, the inspiration for it is really the kind of excitement and joy that I had discovering the game and the kinds of skills that it brought to my life. And I want other people to have those kinds of experiences and not my experiences, their own, their own unique adventures, their own unique stories. That's what's so great about role-playing games is it's 100% customizable. I don't need to, to tell my stories. You tell your own, you want, you know, whatever you think your focal point should be. You want to spend an entire adventure having dinner at a noble's house and talking about the local gossip, man, if you're entertained, that's go, what you should do. It. Right. That's the best game you could imagine. Good. You know, if you want to do a deep strategic combat session where it's going to take you three hours to do five minutes worth of combat because your every moment is this in-depth, you know, miniature pushing kind of thing and everyone is having a ball and they're super into it, then you just played the best game you could, you know. Um, and that's what I think is so great about it compared to a lot of other things, no matter how good a video game can be at some point you run out of options at some point you run out of content. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But if it's my mind and your mind and we're just jamming endlessly cool stuff that doesn't have to stop, you know, that just keeps going and going as long as we want it to. And maybe to, to put a bow on the conversation, you have, not only the, the Young Adventurer's Guides um, that you're working on for Wizards of the Coast, but you have your hands in other things as well. Yeah, yeah. The the good thing is the D&D comic has really, like I said, opened up the floodgates for me to be able to do more stuff with Wizards. Um, so be, that book that I went in to consult on is Descent into Avernus, which is the, um, the big release for the fall. So... It's kind of crazy, the timing of it, and we never planned for it this way. But, uh, you know, that book is also coming out this fall, and that's the one that I help consult on. So a lot of the stuff that's happening in this big Baldur's Gate hellbound adventure, um, you know, I help brainstorm on or, or bounce ideas around with Adam Lee and the crew to um, to make, you know, as fun an adventure as possible. And the fact that, you know, Baldur's Gate is at the center of it and Baldur's Gate is at the center of our comics. And now there's a Baldur's Gate three. It's just like mm -hmm. the game is now going to be, you know, in the public eye in a way that it hasn't been in, in you know, over a decade. Um, every re-releasing the game yeah. on the switch and PlayStation, yeah. which 
I'm, I'm getting it somewhere. I just haven't decided which concept. Yeah, right. But, yeah. You know, and for me, so like I've been, I brought um, in the current Forgotten Realms continuity. Um, it's a hundred years or so after the original Baldur's Gate games and a lot of the old novels. Um, and I found a way in the story that we brought back Minsk and Boo, and they're even though they're only human, uh, they were turned into a statue, and now they're in the current you know, Forgotten Realms, Faerun, and they're now in all the games and they're in, you know, they show up in Idle Champions and they're in a bunch of, uh, they're in the Neverwinter game and all sorts of stuff like that. And it's like, oh my gosh, we, we brought these, you know, kind of cult favorite characters back into the fold and, and made them viable again. You know, that was an amazing kind of experience. And also in the Warriors and Weapons book. Yes. Yeah. It's Kimbu, which is fantastic. Yeah, to me, they represent the kind of, you know, ridiculous, over-the-top characterization, that, you know, the, the kookiness that, that embodies a lot of D&D games. Like, not every D&D game has to be silly, but a lot of it is about having fun around the table. And, you know, there's a natural kind of humor that comes up in the games, and Minsk and Boo have a zaniness to them, and they have a, uh, a, a, a ridiculous, probably overemphasized courage beyond their abilities that I think exemplifies a lot of joy in the game and exemplifies also, you know, a a kid looks at that and says, wait a minute, this giant warrior has a pet hamster. That guy's awesome. You know what I mean? Or that's so cute or that's so fun. And it, it, it sort of teaches you to think outside the box, like to not just, okay, I got a sword. I'm a bad ass i'm gonna go kill monsters like how can you make this unique and interesting you know and so that's why as much as when we looked at who the legendary ranger would be sure because it could have done driz durden and he would have been a valid choice but to me it was like well it's gotta be minsk because that kookiness to me particularly for a young reader and for the kind of game that i know a lot of people enjoy he exemplifies those qualities and lets, you know, show them what's possible. Yeah, the word zany brought back to mind when I was reading through the equipment. It's mentioned in passing, but this idea of a crossbow axe. Yes. Which I was like, yes, that's if somebody's going to read that and they're going to play with a crossbow axe. And I just want to hear what that game sounds like. <laughs> yeah. So what we said was, you know, kids are going to want to go outside of the equipment choices that are there. And so we said, you know, there can be special items, there can be unique items, there can be strange, you know, unexpected combinations. Here's a few brainstormed kind of fun ones. You know, do you have some ideas of your own? And that was, again, this idea of creative problem solving, that the book doesn't have every option, that it's not just about, well, here's a list, pick one. But, you know, does this spur you to come up with more ideas? Does this spur you to come up with different options above and beyond what we show you here you know those um adventurer kits like we have these uh rundowns of sort of equipment packs yes i wanted fabulous with the art they're great yeah I, again i wanted it to me when i was writing up my old D characters as a kid and, and to this day you want to imagine all that stuff that when you crack open your you know you got your your a bedroll and you've got your torch and you've got your, you know, your water skin and your flint and steel. And how does all that stuff fit in a bag? Like, it's like, we're going on a crazy camping trip and we're not coming home. You know, there's something visceral about that. For me as a kid, there was something really interesting about the survival aspect. Like we got to remember, what we, what if I need to climb something? I better have a rope, you know, 
what if we're going through a deep, uh, you know, swamp better have some sort of walking stick or something like that's the kind of thing I want uh, a kid to, to logically sort of, you know, solve their way through as they think about the stuff that these characters are real and they have needs and how do you equip them and get them ready for the trials ahead? That it's not just, okay, what's my cool magic item? And that's the end of it. It's like the full package, you know? Right. How can you solve problems? Yeah. So uh, thank you so much for your time and going through the books and uh, your career and how you got to, to this point. Thanks. Eager to see what the next, you know, five, 10, 20 years will be like. What, what are your goals going forward? Um, I've always tried to balance out, like once my writing career really kicked into gear, uh, I've tried to balance out uh, commercial writing, so writing for clients, you know, which includes Dungeons and Dragons, with my own original creations. So I want to make sure that I'm putting, you know, brand new ideas out there that are all mine um, alongside, in tandem with the kind of, you know, stuff that inspired me as a kid and, and things like that. So it's amazing. I've gotten to write, you know, the Avengers. Uh, I just finished writing a Conan story, um, you know, like it worked on D and D and Samurai Jack and all this other cool stuff. But I also want to make sure that I'm not doing that at the detriment of my own kind of, you know, uh, original ideas and, and, and those kinds of things. And so one of my first kind of breakout books was this book called skull kickers. And that was really a love letter to D and D and Conan, and now, hilariously, you know, I work on both. Um, Full circle. Yeah, but it, but it is really about, you know, I never intended for it to be, but it became like a portfolio. It sort of said, well, clearly you love this stuff because you can see it in the DNA of, of what I'm doing in those books. But it's not so derivative that you're like, oh, it's just like a lame copy of Conan meets Dungeons and Dragons. It's like, no, it's it's pulp fantasy and kind of crazy adventure in a fantasy world, but I'm not, you know, I'm not just calling the character like Bonan or something. Like I'm not just doing like such a, such a lame, you know, one-to-one sure. homage. Like it's like, no, this is its own thing, but you can see the DNA, the primordial kind of stuff that I'm drawing upon. And so when the time came to work on those things, it was very easy to, to send that to the right people and say, I'm the right person for the job, you know? And if people want to check out all the stuff you're doing beyond uh, D&D, uh, how can they find you? How can they contact you or, or uh, ask you any questions? Yeah, so the easiest way is obviously in my website. So it's just jimzub.com. So it's J-I-M-Z-U-B.com. Um, and there's like previews and, and you know, buy links and uh, where I'm going to be for conventions and all that information and cool stuff. Uh, I've also got a pretty extensive set of tutorials on how to write comics and how the comics business works. And that just sort of came up out of... Uh, a lot of Twitter conversations where people were asking me for advice or feedback or, you know, how did you break in kind of questions. And I said, well, rather than me answering this a hundred times, I'll write it up really well. And then I can just point them in the right direction. And this is what I know. And hopefully it'll be helpful to you, you know? Um, so there's a lot of good creative material there. Um, and that's, yeah, that's sort of the hub for everything, you know, related to me. Um, I'm on Twitter a lot. Almost everyone in comics is on Twitter. It feels like, okay. so you can always, you know, pop me questions or, or ask me about stuff there. Excellent. 
Well, Jim, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for creating these books. I, uh, I'm so thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed them. They're, thank I'm looking you. Looking forward to the future ones that are coming out. Yeah, our crew. So, like, you know, the the everyone at Ten Speed Press and and Stacy and Andrew and the art studio at Jetpack Seven and everyone that worked on the books was just a joy to work with and they've been so amazing like the the art team in particular you know we put them through a lot a lot of work uh to to get these books you know like that is a, a ton of artwork to put together under the gun and they um you know the particular art style where we wanted it to channel the kind of fifth edition D look but also with a, a slightly more colorful and a slightly more kind of um vibrant you know appearance to to the standard just to make it as inviting as we could to young players um they kicked they kicked butt on it everyone you know worked so hard on it and and i'm really really proud of the end result and hope that it brings a whole new generation of people on board yeah, and I'll expand on that. Just that I think the books do uh, kick some ass. So Thanks. Uh, I know they're geared for the young adventurers. You know, I wouldn't let that sort of audience um, detract anyone older and more experienced from taking a look at the book and picking it up for themselves. Because I do think it's really energizing to go through it and kind of strip away some of the rules and just look at a kind of an overview of a simple what what is D and D about. Right. And I think it can help anyone who's, you know, an experienced player and certainly for the folks who haven't played uh, and the younger audience who are maybe getting into it. It'll, I think it'll be a great resource for them. So I'm, it's, it's wonderful that these books are going to exist. Thanks so much. Yeah. Like I said, everyone on the team is pumped. Uh, you know, we're, we're, I can't believe the books are coming out. It's like you put all this time into a creative project and, you know, it's going to come out at some point. But you just get used to being in this sort of like, and we're working, we're working, we're working. <laughs> and finally, putting the rails in front of the train as yeah, it's behind you. Yeah, sure. absolutely. And now finally, we've got the, the first two out. So uh, it's an exciting time. And I'm stoked. I want to see just as many photos as possible of people holding the books and getting the books as presents and, you know, discovering the game and, and making their own amazing characters. Awesome. Well, good luck with uh, the Young Adventures guides and everything else that you're working on. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for your time.